forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thanks as always for listening. Um, we've got some great episodes coming up in the coming months. Um, I hope you'll really enjoy them. I'll be honest with you, some of these I was not looking forward to, and they turned out to be great. Um, it's always fun to have these conversations about the business and process of writing, uh, how people figure out how to tell the stories that they want to tell. Um, so I'm, I'm really enjoyed having these uh, upcoming conversations, and I hope you enjoy listening to them. Um, it's spring. Things are okay. I keep hearing people want to get back to normal, but I don't think there's any going back to normal. Um, and that goes for both the business and the world. Uh, you know, the business is still figuring itself out. And now it's not so much about the pandemic, which is nice, um, but about these huge streamers figuring out what they want and what works and what people are watching. Um, and I think the answer is the same as it's always been. Yes, I have the answer. I think someone should just ask me. But the answer is the same as it's always been. And that is people want to watch something that speaks to them. And that's not something you can manufacture. And I think the one thing that the huge hits of the past few years, whether it's Bridgerton or Ted Lasso or Squid Game, um, is that they are wholly the vision of a writer. Um, not that, like, I, I do not ascribe to a tour theory, um, but I think that you have to have a strong vision at the head of your production, right? That's the showrunner's job. That's the show creator's job. Everyone else is there to help that person see their vision on the screen. Um, and I think that's what those shows do. And I think that's what people respond to. Um, even, I mean, this is even true of reality TV. You know, like you look at the success of Survivor and yes, at first it was the novelty of it, but that was 20 years ago. But that is Jeff Probst's show. Um, it is the show that he wants to make. And we all get to enjoy that vision, right? It's just it's just happenstance that we all respond to it and that he's a talented guy. And, you know, as are the creators of these other great shows, Russian Doll and Better Call Saul. Yeah, I think that's where we're at. And I think the key is to, is for these streamers and these networks to let people or help people make the show that they want to make, right? It's to trust the creators. And I think we had a really great run of that for a while that I think we took for granted. Um, I think the heyday of the celebrity showrunner has passed, uh, maybe, sadly, for this this podcast. Um, but if, But the creators are out there. And I think if the buyers can trust the creator's vision and, you know, not make us prove ourselves doing a ton of work beforehand they're going to see something like whether whether they respond to a pitch or a script or something but like development shouldn't take years and years because the, you're creating you're you're making a show for a target that doesn't exist people are going to come to you i don't know 
uh, it's something I've been thinking about. It's something I've been, um, I really believe in, uh, especially these past few years that like you, you just got to write the thing that you love. You got to write the thing that you want to see. Um, and that's what I've been doing. And I hope that's what you've been doing. And for sure, that is what the folks I've been talking to have been doing. Um, so hopefully you find inspiration in these conversations as I have. And hopefully you get out there and write your stuff too. Do it. Find me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. Please continue to leave reviews for this podcast on iTunes and elsewhere. It's really helpful to us so we can keep it going. Um, we'll have lots more stuff to talk about in the future, but find me on Twitter again. And, and like, let's talk about the business and let's talk about TV and tell me what you're enjoying and tell me who you want to hear on this program. I always love to know what you're watching. Thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Um, what I'm going to do is ask you to introduce yourselves on the microphones and let folks know where they may have seen your name on their screens before. Uh, and Carrie, let's start with you, please. Returning champion, Carrie Aaron. Returning? <laughs> I wish. I like that title. Um, I'm Carrie Aaron, and I've been writing for a long time. And uh, I uh, worked on Friday Night Lights and Parenthood, and um, I co-ran Bates Motel with Carlton Hughes, and I just finished up um, running the morning show. Um, my name's Joby Harold. You've probably mainly seen stuff in features. Um, I worked on Edge of Tomorrow and Army of the Dead and some John Wick stuff. Um, and then uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, which comes up at the end of the month, um, and Transformers and The Flash beyond that. So a bunch of sort of uh, big, silly movie stuff. Um, but uh, Obi-Wan's my first foray into TV as a writer. Yeah. And it's been, uh, it's been an interesting journey. It's a, it's a different animal, man. Like it is, that is working for a living. I'm not sure I like working that hard. <laughs> I, I hear you. We'll, we're going to let you uh, ask any question you want of uh, Carrie and Gina as we get rolling. Gina, please introduce yourself. Hi, I am Gina Ippolito. You might have seen my name on The Unicorn on CBS, uh, the revival of Murphy Brown, uh, Disney's Bunked, or a regular show on Cartoon Network, or the, the reboot of the Powerpuff Girls. I got to make sure I get reboot and revival, not mixed sure. up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And other than that, a ton of, a ton of digital stuff, like honest trailers and, and anything nerdy, I've probably written for it in the digital space. Sure. Cool. Um, let's, let's get into, uh, Joby, let's start with you since you brought it up, this jumping into television for the first time. And what were the challenges? What surprised you? Um, the workload. <laughs> it's just an extraordinary amount of work. I also probably bit off more than I could chew and my expectations of what I could pull off um, and realize very quickly that, you know, the, on the feature side of it, I'm a big believer in structure and you kind of snap to structure quite easily. And most things fit into a paradigm that you know quite well if you've been doing it. So I've been doing this for way too long, 20 years. Um, so I'm very used to that structurally. And it's just, you know, writing within tv i'm a producer as well so i produce shows but never actually been the one having to wear that at the end of the day and it is a lot and i am um, i have um 
an extraordinary admiration now for the television writer and um, and in no ways eager to go back to TV anytime soon. I'm writing a feature right now. It's wonderful. I sleep beautifully. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Carrie, what do you wish that you could have told him um, two years ago or whenever you started this uh, Obi-Wan journey? <laughs> I mean, it really, it, when I first started um, show running and I was working with Carlton, who was, you know, fantastic teacher. Um, it was such, it's such an unusual experience to go from, from being a writer where I would like, I, I either was working by myself or I was working in a room with other writers, but you're very, you're living in a very cloistered uh, fantasy, really. Um, and then when you have to actually produce it, it literally felt to me like you're in a um, a video game where things just fly at you constantly and you have to blow them up. You have to get them out of the way. And it's like, it's constant. And it's, and, and your goal is to try to take the vision that you have in your head and your quiet space that you're, that, you know, when you're in your home, you know, and keep, pushing it forward and knocking out everything that gets in the way of it, but doing it diplomatically mm -hmm. without busting up relationships, negotiating, compromising. It is a huge job. It's huge. Um, and I, and I have, I think like the best job in television is um, being a strong number two. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. Do you feel like through, I mean, I think the last time we talked was early on in Bates. And do you feel like through the experience of making Bates Motel and then morning show, like, do you feel like you have a better grasp on the many tentacled beasts that is this job? I do. I feel like, I mean, the kind of, the kind of tricky thing is that each show is like a different family and it's a different, you're walking into different dysfunctions or different love or different, you know, that's like, it's like a whole different psychological yeah. uh, landscape. And if you're, I kind of like deal a lot in psychology. It's what I write about. It's how, it's how I observe the world. So it really does become like navigating the psychology of the group that you're, that you're with, um, which is really fascinating, but it's also like you get, you get different gifts and different dysfunctions with every group sure. you know it is carrie that makes me think that this is this is the closest being a writer in a new writer's room is the closest that adults will come to sort of that first day of school yes. at, a new, at a new school yeah. every time Absolutely. it's like starting at a new high school every time yeah. and being like where am i gonna sit who yeah. am i gonna eat lunch with what are we yeah. gonna what clubs are, are i gonna people? join where are my people here you know like well, that's I, a that's a huge part of it yeah. And Gina, you've been in a number of rooms. I was going to throw this to you and ask, like, how do you start to navigate that? How do you get rid of those first day jitters? Yeah, it's interesting because a, a lot of the shows that I've been on haven't been, you know, have been like regular show. I started in season eight of regular mm. show. Murphy Brown was was technically, you know, like season 13 or something. Uh, and it was sort of all the original writers and then and then oh, just wow. two open slots. So they had been working together for, you know, 20 years. Uh, oh. and, and even on Bunked, I was on Bunked in season three and it was part of a spinoff. So mm. everyone in that. So I'm frequently sort of the new the new kid in school. 
Uh, and, and a lot of it is just, you know, going in and sort of, sort of being friendly, but then, you know, seeing who there's always someone who sort of pulls you aside and is like, stick with me, kid. Like I I've got this. And I, and I love those people. I love the people that are, that are the ones who pull you aside. Cause then you're like, all right, if something weird goes on in the room, I'll just look at that guy and see what his face is doing. <laughs> I, Joby, did you have a room for Obi-Wan? No, I very stupidly said I could do it by myself at the beginning. Is that uh, right? And realize, yes, it's completely right, because it was a limited, and I felt like I had a good handle on what the story was going to be and what I'd pitched. Um, and then the workload definitely became significant. Um, and so, um, no, a couple of people, it was also during COVID, so you know everything was virtual. Right. And um, worked with two fantastic writers, Hannah Friedman and Andrew Stanton, to help kind of get us across the finish line. Mm -hmm. um, but no, at the beginning, the hubris was quite absurd. Like I was like, no, man, it's fine. we're good. I've got, <laughs> I was looking at it as a complete story and I had, and I was coming from features. So it had always yeah. been that version of authorship had always been like, it just felt more efficient. It's like it sure. would be easier to yeah. just get through it because the beginning is the end is the middle and all that. Um, but for as I started as lockdown began in COVID and wrote all the way through lockdown, <laughs> and didn't mm -hmm. have the, we're, make, we're, we're doing jigsaws today and I ran out of things to watch on Netflix. <laughs> and like, I know any of that. I was just working 15 hour days, seven day weeks. So it was, uh, it was a lot, but, but it ended up taking a village, which was much appreciated because um, yeah, otherwise it was I Am Legend really. It was Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, is it, where do you, where did you find that the idea that, oh, I can do this all myself, because I often feel that way. <laughs> where, where do you, where did you feel like that kind of blew up on you and why? You mean, how did I realize that I couldn't do it by myself? <laughs> yeah. Like, what was it about the process that surprised you and made you realize, oh, this is, this is different? It, it, I was at the stage where. Um, I've been in sort of outline-itis for so long, breaking outlines and finally saying, here's the whole experience of six episodes. And we, all the outlines were broken and it took so long that I, I, had, to, I had to go to script on, on six pretty hefty episodes. And the turnaround time to do it was just so hard. So that, it was the pace. Um, it was the pace got significant very quickly okay. on, this, on okay. the second half because we got so caught up in blue sky yeah. and everything that it could be because yeah. of the especially on something like that, sort of the weight of the expectation is quite significant. So you oh, spin, yeah. spin your wheels a lot on, on you know, there's a lot of that going on. Um, yeah. so it, it, and plus, you know, new, we'd been in it for so long and my head had been in for so long, new ideas, yeah. fresh thoughts, yeah. stress yeah. testing things that we thought were rock solid. Yeah. People coming yeah. in and being like, ah, have you thought about was brilliant, especially big smart minds like those. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping yeah. that everyone hears this and now is like, we need more, we need more bigger writers rooms to get, so that well, writers can have sort of normal sized writers rooms again and more yeah. jobs. Well, this, this was going to be my question. I mean, like both of you, Carrie and Gina, you've been in big rooms, you've been in small rooms, you've been in rooms that have gone, you know, for almost a year, you've been in rooms that have gone for uh, just weeks. Yeah. Nonetheless, we have writers' rooms for a reason on shows, and I'd love mm -hmm. to hear about like this is a very back to basics kind of question. But what is the benefit, uh, whether you are a contributing writer in the room or whether you are running the room? What is the benefit of having five, ten people work on your series? Uh, either of you who wants to start it off. I mean, in a great room, I feel like 
the benefit is a, is just an, an alchemy that happens when you have uh, people, smart, funny people, all in, all kind of trapped in a room for eight hours a day exchanging thoughts. And um, it really is like a, it's like a, a it's like an energy that you create together um, that's exciting and fun. I mean, the, the, the most fun things I've ever done have been in really great, fun writer's rooms. Like it's just, there's nothing like it. Um, so I think they have, they obviously, they have a creative purpose and they also, I think have a, I think this business is such a, can be such an isolating business that I think having a writer's room is like, it's like having a, a fortress and a, and a, it's like you, you, it's a safety place. It's a womb, you know, um, where all the, all the gestation and the, 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 the beginning of it happens and, and it's, and it's protected in there. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. I think, you know, coming, coming from, I come from a live comedy background. So I started wow. in like sketch comedy and, and improv and things like that. And, I think that especially in a comedy room, the funniest jokes in a script come when everyone is sort of riffing and adding and you might be doing a bit for like 15 minutes and get one joke out of that 15 minute riffing. And it's it's much harder in a smaller writer's room. And I think, you know, what what Joby was talking about is in terms of like burnout, like not if you're in an eight or nine or 10 person writer's room, not everyone is going to be a hundred percent every day. So if you're coming in and, and, you know, maybe you were just off on script and you're exhausted or you're a parent and it's the first day of school and you're exhausted, then, you know, you still have eight other people to sort of pick up that slack. If you're not on, you know, I feel like we've all sort of had that, had those days where we spit out a line and then immediately just go, I'm so, I'm sorry. That was a terrible pitch. Like, what am I, what am I doing? But then someone else yeah. might be like, no, 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 that gives me an idea. So it's sort of this snowballing feeding mm -hmm. off of each other energy. And, and I think, you know, the, the smaller the room, the harder that is, if, if one person's exhausted and you're in a three person room, then you only have two people to pick up the slack. Uh, and, and I, you know, I feel the same way sort of about, about zoom rooms too. It's, 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 um, it's great that there's that option for all the craziness of the past two years, but it's hard to get sort of yeah. bits going and, and snowballing on, on when you're like looking at everyone and being like, sorry, what did you say? No, no, you go, Oh, we stepped over each other. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. Whereas in person, it's every sort of everyone talking at once and laughing and there's yeah. that in-person energy. And I feel like the more, as long as, as long as, you know, there's not, there's not sort of a bunch of assholes in a room together, right. you, you get that energy and that, that, that feeling and everyone's laughing and, and you're putting the best bits into the script. There's also that smell of old food and sweat ah. <laughs> that, that contributes to the creative process that Zoom's just don't quite capture. <laughs> no. The lack of air. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, it's like Carrie was saying, like there is a it's a fortress, right? Like there's a sort yeah. of clubhouse feel in the best way that like we're all in this together, moving this thing forward together, um, which brings me to the next step, which is sharing that with your other collaborators. Um, you know, you all have worked on shows with a lot of like big names who are also 
technically maybe your bosses on these things, you know, uh, actors who are executive producers on things. Um, talk to me a little bit about like juggling the vision of yourself and the room with now all of these other collaborators. Um, and Carrie, let's let's talk about something like morning show specifically, because like mm-hmm. there's a I imagine there's a lot of weighing in on that show. Oh yeah, there for sure. I mean, I knew that was the, kind of the price of admission, yeah. you know. Um, which yeah, is you came in clear eyed. Thought about it a long time. <laughs> 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 but um, and I and I think one of the things that I do love about a writer's room in a situation like that is it's the place where you get to be comfortable looking stupid, you know, where you're like, I don't know what the fuck this is. <laughs> I don't know know how to make this episode. Like, what are we, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of blank space and you're like, you're just kind of following a scent, you know, but then when you go out to everyone else in the production, you have to be like, I've got the North star. I know where we're going. Um, And um, sometimes that's quite funny to me um, because I'm really not a, a, a great bullshitter. Um, And, and sometimes I do wish people could just be a little more like, Hey, we're all smart. We're all, we're all gonna like, 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 let's just have fun. You know, let's like, let's try something. Let's, you know, but I, but I feel like the more people you have involved and I feel like the way that projects are getting put together now, it's, it's only going to get worse, not better. I think there's going to be so many people and producers involved on every single thing that I I just go back to that like it's like you're as a showrunner creator you're following a scent and you can't and it's like if some person wants to do this this way it's like well that's fine as long as I can stay on that scent Mm -hmm. and if I can't then we need to compromise and I need to convince you that this is the way to do it you know so and it is time consuming it's it's and it's and it takes huge energy yeah. to do that all the time you know yeah I mean, but on sort the other of... hand you get to work with like really amazing um talent yeah. uh that can bring you know something to life in such a magical way so it's just it's all just a mixed bag yeah um, this sort of gets to, uh, Joby, what you were talking about with like the weight of expectation um, on these shows and on your show specifically. And I'm curious to hear, like, you got to have a vision for this show. Um, you, you know, you created the story for this show, but what were the conversations that took place around forming that story? And again, like, I know we can't get into details yet, but um, early in the process, what did that back and forth look like uh well first of all there had been um previous iterations of the story and development of it um on the feature and tv side so uh the great work of a lot of great writers before me had had already Mm pre-existed so i'd read stuff coming in and so to a certain degree it was inheriting some building blocks and kind of um Set, you know, course correcting certain things and just saying, here's where I think it could live and breathe. And, and, um, and um, you know, that scent carries to about that sort of directional common ground, that North Star, just f- finding out very quickly that um, I was of like minds with everybody at Lucasfilm and with the filmmaker, Deb, who is mm. extraordinarily talented. And I'm a big believer in 
you know, coming from features in the director and in, um, in the medium being driven by a filmmaker wherever possible. And we just had a, a like mind. So very quick, honestly, I read previous stuff they had on a Friday um, and Saturday and came in on Monday and pitched everything. I okay. And it was, and it, we immediately oh. were sort of on the same page um, about what it could be. And then it was just the grind. Um, but it was, but no, fair credit to the people that came before me and, mm -hmm. um, and all the people that helped along the way. But it is, from an expectation point of view, it's really interesting because you, if there's too much reverence, you, you're, you're blocked because yeah. the anticipation is so yeah. enormous that you just, you've got to be free to just tell a story. Yeah. <laughs> you just find a character and tell a story, you know? And so um, it's like you have those first few days and you breathe very heavily and you think, oh my goodness, there's a lot of weight around this. And then you just get to the work. Um, but it's, um, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't cognizant of the expectations. Also, I feel like, like as a, as a very huge Star Wars nerd, uh, you're, you're screwed either way with the Star Wars fandom. Absolutely. Like you could, your show, <laughs> you could make the, the perfect show, which I'm sure it is. And, and Twitter is still going to find something to grumble about with that fandom. Uh, I, I have a story for Joby from the unicorn writers room. We had a, we were on the Paramount lot for season one and we had a bit that we had a sign printed up that said uh, that said that the room was for star Wars episode seven, the death of Chewbacca. <laughs> and the tour came by every day, the, the Paramount tour. And we had a big cutout cardboard cutout of Chewbacca and his headshot was on the wall and for the first like week, every tour that came by was like, whoa, is this a spoiler? Like what? And you could see them taking pictures and, and then they incorporated it into the tour. Like they would be like, it's a comedy room. So they're just having fun with you. But we really <laughs> wanted to get sort of a, a Twitter shitstorm going of some, someone <laughs> posting it and being like, what does this mean? <laughs> it's amazing. Like, it's amazing how, how they will, you know, the, the fan base out there is so extreme. And by the way, I'm part of it. Like I'm, I'm guilty Same. as charged of, yes, you know what I mean? So like, I know what's <laughs> coming cause I'm responsible for, you know, like I get it, but, um, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll be turning off my computer for <laughs> six or seven years. My kids yeah. won't go to school. I'll keep that. I'll homeschool them for it. Definitely college. close your, close your DMS for the next five yeah. years. <laughs> but that, you know, that's, that's part of it. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm that person with Mando and Boba Fett and all those things. So I get it. Um, Gina, you had mentioned um, coming from a live comedy background, um, and I want to talk to all of you about like what do how does the other stuff you do inform the way you write? Um, and let's start by talking about that. Um, you know, what what were some of the early rooms you were in, and how did that live comedy um, training prepare you for those rooms? Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, so I started at UCB and I started in their improv program and then went over to their sketch program and was on a house sketch team as a writer. And the my earliest jobs that I got were all in sort of digital content rooms that I used my sketch packet for, my sketch packet that had gotten me on a UCB right. team. And, and, you know, just from being on a team for six years, I had so many sketches stored up that I was like, oh, well, maybe I might as well get get paid for these if I can. Uh, and then going into those rooms, I felt more prepared, even if I, even if I wasn't prepared because just from, from improv for so long, if someone threw out a question or something, I could sort of fake it until I, until I found a good pitch or something. And, and, and I feel like a lot of times 
in comedy rooms, if you don't have that improv training, you know, you have people that are sort of sitting there and they're in there in their head and they might come out with the perfect joke. Whereas I was just sort of like, all right, let's see what's going on. So we got this character over here, this character over here, maybe one of them says this, uh, which is maybe an annoying way to pitch, but it sort of worked for me. Uh, and, and it really served me well when I landed on regular show because they, they sort of, you know, it was a well-oiled machine. Like I said, I was coming in at, at, in episode, uh, season eight and the way we pitched was we would all sort of in, invent a title of an episode based on just the first thing that came to our head. So it would be like, Oh, the, you know, the coffee mug of doom. And then we would all sort of go to our corner and have five minutes to write up. What would that what would the coffee mug of doom, what would the plot be? And then the showrunner, JG Quintel would listen and he would say, okay, I like this element from your story. I like that element from your story. Let's go and write up a couple of paragraphs of what that looks like. Uh, and everyone in that room, you know, it was a small writer's room, but everyone came from an improv background because I feel like if you didn't in that room and you were thrown into it and someone said, yeah, what's the coffee mug of doom, doom about? They'd be like, what are you fucking talking about? I need like, three days to come up with these episodes. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, it not only helped me get my first jobs, but it has served me well since then. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and Carrie, am I remembering right that you had a like literature and playwriting background? Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's talk about that for a second. Um, I don't think we've ever really delved into that and, and how that translated for your earliest jobs. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I always, it's a, it's a really good question and I probably don't fully understand all of it, like how it did, but I know I've always been interested in storytelling since I was tiny. And I think it was a way to make sense of the world that didn't always make sense in my household. Um, and I feel like uh, reading books I tended, to, like, I really liked kind of crazy books like Wuthering Heights. I really liked playwrights like Tennessee Williams. I have a, I have a love for the operatic, um, which is, and that fed, that fed those parts of me. And then, you know, is like the first show I worked on was Moonlighting, which was very oh. crazy oh, and man. very over the top. You know, um, and fan, I, I don't can't think believe you. I'm so fanboying right now. I can't. I've got to, <laughs> no. I need to take a second. I can't uh, believe it. it was, I loved that. Show. I did. It was my very first job, and um, and I loved how crazy it was, and how and how bizarre it was. Um, and so I think that whatever my sensibility is, people's sensibility, it's like it's formed when we're probably between zero and three years old. And then you just carry that with you and you keep trying to plug it into different parts of life, you know? And so I do, it's funny because all the shows I work on tend to be very big, crazy characters. And that's obviously like what I'm, what I'm doing. It's like, I don't know, I'm trying to make sense out of something. Yeah. I, I want to come back to that. Um, Cause it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Let me, let me get this answer from Joby though. You know, your name is on, a number of movies and a couple TV shows as a producer. Um, again, like you've, you've been in that world. How does that give you a different perspective on feature writing or TV writing? What do you think that producing has, has how has that prepared you for script writing? 
Uh, it's impossible to function right now, knowing Kerry worked on moonlighting. So I'm, I'm just literally <laughs> trying to We're going to get to moonlighting questions <laughs> in okay, a minute. Um, it, it, <clears throat> look, I've been lucky enough to um, wear a few hats. I've gotten to direct a movie. I've gotten to produce TV and film and sit on different sides of the table. At one point, I was almost an executive at a studio. Like I'm, I'm pretty aware of the different the mm. division of labor that exists in order to for the way the sausage is made. And and certainly, hopefully, I'm a better producer because I understand how hard it is to be a writer. And it, it's not to be simplistic, but it really comes down to that. A lot is asked yeah. of the writer, um, fairly and unfairly. Um, and I get to work with a lot of younger writers and sort of talk them through the process and help them find the best of themselves, hopefully. Or hopefully they would agree with that. Um, but it just gives you an empathy because, you know, you you've we've you've been there and it's extremely hard. It's not easy. Um, so, you know, yeah. it, 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 it's, there's again, features and TV are so different. And as much as that frontier is changing and everything's coming together in the way we absorb entertainment, it's still structurally and paradigm wise, they're two different animals. And I'm yeah. such a big believer in structure that as from a creating point of view, that um, it, it, it's easier for me as a film producer than it is as a TV producer to hold my head up high and say, I can help you in this mm. area. Um, but I'm, I'm learning the animal of TV more and more so as I do it. And um, I think we're producing, I have a company with my wife, production company, and we're doing our, producing our third show right now. Okay. Um, yeah, and I imagine, like you say, like the more comfortable you, you become as a creator in this medium, the better, even better you'll be as a producer in it, which like yeah, you've shown and, that uh, in features already. Yeah, and honestly, in feature and TV, it always comes down to the cocktail of personalities of the people making the thing anyway and yeah. figuring out the best way to get the best out of everybody and ego be put aside and remember why we're all here. And and it, that is always the case. It depends on every yeah. single thing. It's always the same. It's like, well, you're an asshole and you're lovely. And how do I make <laughs> sure that you stop being an asshole and that the lovely people win? And it... it, it uh, I don't mean to be rude, by the way. I'm not, um, but um, I am being disparaging about a lot of the people that I've had the misfortune of working with. Uh, I will now uh, open the floor uh, to questions about moonlighting from either of you. Right, let's go. <laughs> Did you? So hold on. That has to have been. No, I'm sorry. Because moonlighting yeah. that. So so when I was growing up, moonlighting and Cheers were my desk. The things I needed to watch every week when, as a kid in England yeah. to survive. Yeah. Uh, moonlighting. Yeah. I think it was on a Monday night in England, and I needed it. It, it just it, because the irreverence of it and not knowing what was going to happen each week kept me. Yeah. Like I needed it. Plus the Mark Harmon and the romance and the, the notion of should they, shouldn't they, will they, won't they, all that stuff just worked yeah. for my young mind. But I can't oh. imagine in regards to sausage being made, how was that unwieldy? Was it, was it oh. organized? Was it, I mean, how chaotic was it? Cause it feels <laughs> the taming of the shrew and, I mean, It was you know. bananas and it was my first job. And um, I was, I was like in my twenties. Um, and it was, and I'd never worked on a show before. And I thought that's what a normal show was. We, we would sometimes not have episodes to deliver to the network. <laughs> and the network would just put on a rerun because it was such a huge hit. So it did not, I had nothing to compare it to. And I thought that was normal. Um, so it was, it was like the most crazy baptism by fire 
Um, and then, you know, there it got into a lot of political things and, sure. you know, to the stars, there was knocking along at certain points. And then Glenn, who was, you know, a genius, um, he had issues with, you know, Sybil and he wound up leaving the show. And I feel like that was just like, really the death of the show because he was he was that person following the scent and you can't fake that you know you can't just go i'm gonna get someone else in here to follow that scent they basically can find that scent um it just never works that way um but it was it was an amazing place to start learning the business um, and really like lovely people too. Like I loved all the writers. I loved the actors. Um, I loved Glenn. It was, it was a really great environment, very creative environment, very, very irreverent environment, which was so much fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was good. Wow. How did that, how did that room, we may have talked about this in the past, but like, you know, it's been a lot of episodes. Um, how did that room work? Uh, because it feels like the show is so much Glenn's voice. Uh, what was expected of the writers on staff? Well, I feel like because the writers started very early with Glenn. I mean, Glenn obviously created the show, wrote the pilot, shepherded uh, the series. Um, but uh, but Roger Director was very early on the staff. Um, Ron and um, Ron Osborne and Jeff Reno were very early on the staff. Uh, I was very early writing. I wrote like, you know, episodes out of the first order. I was not on staff yet because I was just getting my foot in the door. (laughs) But um, it was it was it was kind of a group like there was definitely a group uh, alchemy that was happening um, on the show, uh, although it is it is Glenn's vision. Mm -hmm. When when does something like you know, breaking the fourth wall or the taming of the shrew or the things where it just becomes, you, you, you feel unsteady at home because you don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> when does the, yeah. where does the confidence come from to swing that hard? Glenn is just awesome that way. Glenn, ha- Glenn just had such a spark. Uh, it has, I mean, I haven't worked with him in years, so he probably still has it, but um, he, I, I do believe that when he was asked to write a detective show for a network, he was like, oh. and I, I think I'm pretty sure this is true. I don't think that I'm just remembering this or, or imagining it, but that he believed the characters in the show knew they were characters in a detective show, but he did not tell the network that. And if you look at that, if you look at that construct, it starts to make all the shit make sense Um, because David Addison breaks the fourth wall in the third episode. Never set up. (laughs) It's just like you just go down that road all of a sudden. And I, I fucking loved that. I loved the left turns. I loved the, the, the joy of the, um, just the ballsiness. It was just so much fun. Um, and I, I don't know that you could ever do anything like that anymore because I feel like everyone would want everything so nailed down and what does it mean? And you have to set up if you're going to break the fourth wall. And and it's unfortunate because some things, some creativity is just meant to be wild and impulsive, you know? Um, 
but yeah, it was a really special show to get to to get to work on. And I knew it at the time. Like I really, I felt so lucky. I, I think you make a good point about like what's being lost in this new age of television where we're being asked to, you know, plan five seasons in advance or pitch out every episode of a show before it's bought. Um, and I want to talk about having having a voice, um, whether it's a show that you are hired to work on or, or a movie that you're hired to work on or whether it's a show that you've created or a movie that you're writing from scratch. Um, Joby, for example, like your your a lot of your credits are for big properties, right? Uh, Transformers and um, Army of the Dead, stuff like that, and Obi Wan coming up. Do you feel like you've been able to tell a personal story as part of all of these, as part of any of these? Uh, yeah, cool. yeah, always, of course, yeah, because it's you got to find a story in within the thing. Usually with those. Um, those bigger branded sort of IP driven uh, corporate creative exercises. It's to me actually about finding the soul of whatever it is that's captured the imagination of an audience for so long. So I'm not particularly enamored with Optimus Prime as a character, but trying to understand why that's taken hold in the imagination of, of kids and audiences for 20, 30 years, whatever, is interesting. So getting underneath the soul of that and then trying to find how that can become a part of a character journey and an arc that I can relate to emotionally, then hopefully unlocks the IP in a way that feels soulful and doesn't feel like I'm selling a Happy Meal. So with each different opportunity across the board, be it from a, a comic book thing or a toy or, or a Star Wars or what have you, um, or a John Wick, it's like, what's the... What's the soul of why I enjoy it or it's enjoyed by audiences? Then what speaks to that soul from a character point of view? And then how am I in that character? And then so it is pretty much not to be to look at it as an equation. But if I can't find the character piece in the middle of it, then I'm not the right person for the job. Because otherwise, I'm just trying to sell the happy meal. I don't really want to just sell happy meals. So. I don't know if that answers the question, but it is if I can find at the end of the story me in an Optimus or an Obi-Wan or whoever or a Barry, then then um, hopefully it'll be resonant for I always talk about my mum as is the important part of the audience because I'm not making these things for me because there's enough of me out there, Gina, as you were saying, that's running their mouth and no one's interested. But if I can make my mum like it too, who doesn't know anything about Obi-Wan, then I'm succeeding. And I talk about my mom to such a degree that I saw an internal Lucasfilm memo that talked about my mom. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. <laughs> well, Joby's mom would never. Um, so that's part of the audience, right? My mom, my kids, me, us. Like if you're, if you're finding a story and a character story in the middle of all that, that's working for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it, then it, that's reinforcing the soul and the theme. And then that's reinforcing the soul of the IP. Then, then it should work. Yeah. Can you can you talk about what that was for Obi Wan, or does that give things away? I, it's there are snipers in the woods around my house, <laughs> uh, so I, with great delicacy, I can say that um, uh, no. The, for, to me, anything that's fundamentally, we wanted Obi Wan to be mythic and epic and feel cinematic, even though it was you know through the lens of being a limited series. So that speaks more to the Campbell tradition of storytelling, which is very much hero's journey-ish and has a beginning and a middle and an end and a clear arc. 
And within that, those are quite universal stories mm -hmm. from a character point of view. So it's easier to get at those because those stories are evergreen for a reason, like that campfire story. Um, so that one is, is um, I too have ghosts in my past, Carrie, similar to you in regards to sort of how I grew up and, and how things filled voids in my life in regards to what we all do. And Obi-Wan's a character that's, you know, defined by his past hmm. that ends up in a future we all know being act, you know, you're going from Ewan to Sally Guinness and how one becomes the other and reconciles that past to become everything they want to be. There's a universal story for my mom, my kid, everybody here. We can all get underneath that without knowing canon and, you know, backstory. Yeah. So from that point of view, it was, it was, it wasn't hard to get to. I love that. That, that honestly, uh, does more to get me excited about the show than uh, anything anything I've seen. And I was already excited about the show. So that's really lovely. Um, Gina, as a writer working on someone else's show, where is your voice? Uh, how do you get your experience, your passion into these shows uh, once you've done the main job of serving the showrunner's vision? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, especially going into shows that had had a past, uh, you know, had past seasons, uh, which sometimes works to your benefit, right? Because sometimes if a show has been on for eight seasons, like with regular show or, or 10 seasons, like with Murphy Brown, they they want those fresh stories and that and that fresh perspective and things like that. But, you know, I've sort of managed to on Murphy Brown, which was is obviously very topical and 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 sort of like what's in the what's in the news and things like that. I was able to, uh, you know, obviously it was written post Trump being elected and, and when me too was a big, was a big thing. So I think just finding ways that you can bring your expertise, whatever, whatever it is to the table. So for instance, the, the, one of the episodes of Murphy Brown that I, I wrote was titled Murphy too. And it obviously dealt with me too and, and, and Murphy Brown. And I had worked in the comedy community with women who who had dealt with sexual assault and things like that. And I had had studied a lot about it. So I think it's just sort of having the courage in the room to speak up when you hear something that you feel like you can you can bring something to the table. So Diane English is is brilliant. Uh, and whereas most shows that I I've worked on, they go in order. So if you're, you know, an EP, you're going to get that right. second or third episode if you're at, and it goes on down the line. Whereas Diane said, who feels like they can write which of these episodes, which was great. And I've, I've never seen it sort of since then. And she had in her mind who who she thought would be would be good. But she wanted to hear people say, I think I can give a good take on this. I think I can give a good take on that. And it might not, you know, for, for other sh showrunners, it might seem to step on toes. You know, maybe the EP thinks that they should get that second or third episode. But ultimately, if someone is better suited to tell one story than another, you I think you should give them that episode. So you know, I was able to sort of say, I have a lot of experience dealing, dealing with this and this topic. And 
you know, would love to write it. And luckily Diane agreed and said, yeah, yeah, let's, let's give that one to you. Uh, and, and I think just, you know, a lot of times, especially maybe newer writers in the room are a little shy about saying, actually, I, I would be good for this because this, and I think you can, you can do it too much. So you, you don't want to step on egos and step on toes, but and and I think other than that, there's there's just finding like every every sitcom, you know, there's going to be sort of three storylines per episode. So even something as simple as, you know, on on the unicorn, which was a, a, about, you know, a, a man who'd lost his wife, uh, you know, there was a storyline where the kids are remembering little stories about their mom and they were looking for sweet things. And I was able to say like, well, when I was a kid, my dad, when it rained really hard in New Jersey, he would go outside and throw coins outside so that my brother and I thought that when it rained really hard, it rained pennies. <laughs> and, and for years, we, we, we thought that was a thing until we were sort of old enough to be like, oh, dad, dad did that. Like that wasn't, and we would run outside after a big rainstorm to see if they were there. And they included just a little section of that in the unicorn of them reminiscing about their mom. So I think any time you can you can say I have something to contribute in a meaningful way, right? Not just sort of off the cuff being like I haven't talked in a while, so I need to talk. Uh, uh, but anytime you can sort of have the courage to say I I have something to say, hopefully it's helpful. Here it is. That's how you get your voice across. It doesn't have to be in these huge ways. It's just any time you think you can contribute, having the courage to say, I think I can contribute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Carrie, as you move on now um, and are have the opportunity to create some new stuff, you know, it feels like things are wide open for you. So what do you what do you do? Uh, is there are there stories you haven't gotten to tell are there is there a part of you that you haven't gotten to put on screen yet what are you chasing these days i mean there's i i feel because like we we all evolve constantly there will always be new parts of you you know that you're that you want to explore um i'm i'm very i'm the the morning show is just such a specific world and and the sort of like very um affluent very successful very glossy um and i think that part of me is just like going going back to a little more of my um of my roots of uh a little bit of darkness a little bit of um, a little bit of you know um the common the common person and the just i'm just i i'm kind of longing for something in that in that realm a little bit more and that's that's what i'm working on great we can't wait to see it um we wrap up as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days what's getting you excited or inspired what are you talking about with your friends your loved ones the rooms that you're in uh joby let's start with you um i am forever um behind on everything um, which drives we me all are. completely insane because <laughs> I'm never part of the right conversation. I only just finished watching Cheers. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, we, I started watching um, Tokyo Vice, which I was quite taken with and hadn't been anticipating um, what it was. Or, and again, I spoke before about filmmaker and mm. um, 
you know, the, the the imprint of the filmmaker was very much on that as a piece of television, which wasn't quite anticipating. It felt quite mm. authored cinematically uh, beneath the writing, uh, or, or I should say, um, hand in hand with the writing in a, in a way which I found to be um, compelling. I'm also shocked at the degree to which I come into a room that my children have left and whatever they've left on, I'm so tired. I just find <laughs> it used to be this show called Wonder Pets and I would just like crash in front of the couch and I'd watch uh, like an hour of Wonder Pets and I'd be like, yeah. this is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, the stuff that I tend to watch whatever is in front of my eyes when I crash in front of the TV more than I do sit down for destination viewing. Horrible answer, <laughs> but, it's, but that's the truth. That's fair. Uh, Carrie, what are you watching? I, I unfortunately have a very similar answer. <laughs> uh, I really don't, I don't, especially when I'm writing or when I'm trying to find an idea or working, trying to get it, I don't watch a lot of other stuff. I, before I had started writing this project, I was watching Yellow Jackets, which I thought was really good yeah. and fun and interesting. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I, <laughs> I tend to watch a comedy at the end of the day before I go to bed. And it used to be um, Letterman and it used to be Conan and now they're all gone, you know, they're not on anymore. So I started rewatching King of the Hill. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Which is, is a great show. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. Um, I heard they might be bringing it back. So I hope they do. But uh, yeah, I have, I mean, I, I want to start watching Pachinko. I, I have a lot of, and I, oh, um, Jason's show is really good. Um, yeah, as, as, as we see it. As we see it, yes. Um, so there, there's a lot of things that I, that I need to get caught up on. We all need to catch up on everything. There's, yeah. there's not enough time. Uh, Gina, what are you watching? Yeah, so I, I've been trying to be better, especially going into staffing season and looking for my next gig about watching things that are in the zeitgeist because I'm constantly terrified it'll come up at a showrunner meeting and I'll be like, I don't know what that is. So, uh, so you know, Atlanta season three and Barry season three, I'm caught up on those. I, I just rewatched Severance for the second time because it's so... Wow so brilliant and and i'm a, an easter egg junkie uh i i devour any superhero stuff so moon knight is also uh but then it, in terms of like if i'm watching it just for me and not because i'm afraid i'll have to talk about it in a staff meeting i've been re-watching uh x-men the animated series from the 90s <laughs> hey oh my god that's really fun uh these are all great answers and all unexpected answers <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks so much uh thank you all for being here this was great a real pleasure come back anytime uh so nice to see you and it was you lovely too. meeting you you all and i hope i see you in person sometime forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by dog. brett boehm joe cilio and alex ramsey for more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.